you're listening to the Dark Depths Podcast. We would love if you could take a minute out of your day to follow the Dark Depths Podcast on Twitter, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to our show. If you feel up to it, you can also give us a donation on PayPal or support us on Patreon. Don't feel like you have to, though. Our show is always going to be free. That's all the announcements. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Dark Depth Podcast, your go-to place for the modern and legacy formats. I'm one of your hosts, Billy Mitchell, and I am here with a special guest, one of my good friends, the Lord of Leaves himself, Chris Medikevich. How are you? Good, good. How are you, Billy? I'm doing okay. Yeah, Mapson is busy celebrating his anniversary with his lovely wife, and I was trying to figure out, like, who would be a good guest? And, you know, you're, you know, one of our good friends, go to a bunch of magic tournaments together, we talk about magic basically every day in our group chat, so I thought you'd be an excellent person to have on and talk about a little bit of elves and a little bit of modern legacy. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm just happy to be here and uh, excited to talk some elves. Cool. All right, let's start here. Uh, you obviously play elves. You've been playing elves for a while, right? I haven't. I've been playing magic longer than I've been playing elves. So okay. I kind of started, yeah, to kind of like go back all the way. I started in playing magic in middle school, but I've only picked up elves in the last like 10 years. So okay. when I was getting into legacy, um, it was around like 2011, 2012. And actually, Elves wasn't even my first Legacy deck. My first Legacy deck was Affinity. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty interesting because, like, the early turn, play, some of the early turn, like, play patterns of, like, spewing to the board can be somewhat similar, hmm. which is, I guess, why I liked Elves, partially. But also, I had, like, a Wirewood Symbiote from, like, an Onslaught pack that I ripped, and I'm like, huh. That's like one out of 60 cards for a legacy deck. <laughs> Let's yeah, go. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I started with Affinity, and shortly thereafter, I found that it felt like somewhat underpowered. So I kept looking around, um, and Affinity was mostly proxied anyway. I picked up all the cheap stuff. And I was looking around and looking around, and I saw Elves, and I'm kind of like, I played against it a couple times, online and i was like oh that's interesting yeah well, i'll give this deck a shot it's, i already have a wirewood symbiote why not just try and you know proxy the rest mm -hmm. so i started with it and i was putting it together around the same time death right came out and the natural order version got put together by matt ass and Louis scott vargas so I started with that and I just kind of fell in love with the deck. Um, I was terrible with it <laughs> uh, to start, as, uh, as you would expect. It's a very complex deck uh, to master. There's a lot of lines that you have access to at any given time. And finding the right decision in the context of a, a legacy game is, is very difficult for what you're trying to accomplish. So I think that's why I liked it so much was because was something that would give me a lot of value over time and and just kind of give me a lot of satisfaction for a pilot as well. Yeah, that's, that's like one of the big things I've kind of noticed. Like, you know, obviously, you know, Mapson always talks about uh, green-white. Um, we always talk about uh, Death and Hexes kind of being this category too, but there's these decks that like have a 
a front. Like, you, you always say, like, okay, well, I can... I just cast Natural Order and I win. Okay, sure. I guess that is a theoretical thing that happens. And same thing with, you know, Green White Depths. Like, I can just get a ter- uh, Meryl Age on turn two and, like, kill you. It's like, theoretically, sure. Um, but you end up getting these situations as you learn the deck a little bit more and understand how to um, fight hate. And, you know, you play against people who are playing, you know, actually aiming to try to beat you with, you know, whether it's a... Uh, and that and the festivities or a plague engineer stuff like that and you start playing these games where you're like i'm still like your opponent's just like i'm losing and i have a plague engineer how am i losing this game uh, <laughs> like that that's the nice thing about a lot of these decks is that as you get more comfortable with them you really do get to see the the dividends of your your education and the work you put into it just by being able to get, work yourself out of those really tough spots that a person playing the deck for the first time might have just conceded in Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And you see that a lot when people pick up the deck, you're kind of like, you see the incremental advantage that you could gain from making certain plays or certain decisions. And you also see where someone else might skip over that and go a different way. And you might end up winning, like both folks might end up winning the same game. Um, But it might just be, it might come down to the margin of did they have the lightning bolt? Did they have the end of festivities? Did they have something else to disrupt me? That's one canonist. Did I find natural order? That sort of thing. Mm. And I think that's another skill testing part of the deck that a lot of people don't necessarily pick up on where it, people can fall into the trap. And I've definitely fallen into the trap of like, well, I didn't see this card. Otherwise I would have won. And mm. it's like, yes, that's very true. But there's also a lot of other factors that can lead to that. Things like uh, fetching with Reclaimer, fetching with Fetch Land, thinning the deck, uh, tutoring for certain cards, setting up card advantage early, that sort of thing. So you get rewarded and punished in equal amounts for um, making the right and wrong plays. I know there's different versions of the Elf deck that get played. There was like a, a Chaos version and there's like a Reclaimer build currently. Can you kind of briefly talk about like what the options are if i'm if i'm an elf player jumping into the legacy format yeah yeah absolutely uh so to kind of give an overview of the deck elves at his heart is a an aggro combo deck with a built-in card advantage card advantage engine so you can kind of play it um to how you would play something like uh, Moth and modern where you okay. can uh threaten the combo um or like Splinter Twin even, where you can like threaten the combo, but you have a backup plan or an A plan of attacking with creatures. Hmm. Um, and you even have like a sneaky third plan of being able to card advantage certain decks out with the Wirewood Elvish Visionary combo. So you have a couple options to start that. And those options are available in all versions of the deck. But to kind of start with the most basic version, you have the Nettle Sentinel Heritage Druid version, which has been um, dominant in the past, I guess, ever since the yeah, deck was incepted back when... Uh, the Green Sentinel? Yeah, I think, well, yeah, I think it was back when they printed, or they printed Glimpse. Um, oh, yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah, so because I remember they had the it was Pro Tour Berlin, I think, when 
they the deck came to the forefront um, yeah. and that's basically been the main version all the way up until a reclaimer was printed um so the main interaction is you can get uh, one usually one heritage druid and one or more nettle sentinels and when you cast glimpse of nature presumably you have a couple more creatures that you can uh play and each creature you play you get to tap for mana well each elf you play you get to tap for mana off of heritage druid mm-hmm. and nettle sentinel and the nettle sentinel on taps for each green creature that you that you play or for each green spell that you play so you should be netting mana mm-hmm. for every creature that you commit to the board and drawing a card so you're essentially assembling a mana engine that draws your entire deck in concert with glimpse of nature heritage druid and Nettle sentinel and that traditionally has been um the main one of the main ways to win in the deck the other one has been natural order into hoof usually all the all the games end in uh, a lethal hoof so you would either draw your deck cast the hoof or natural order um, with at least uh, three or four creatures on board and swinging for the win. That version of the deck has remained fairly popular uh, even in recent times, but that is starting to starting to change with the recent printing of Elvish Reclaimer. Um, and I'll get to Elvish Reclaimer and the impact that that card has had on the deck uh, in a minute. Mm-hmm. But I would like to kind of um, talk a, a little bit about Chaos Elves first and kind of the, because I think that version of the deck has kind of uh, kind of been forgotten a little bit. But the, the Chaos Elves version still uses the main mana engine of Heritage Druid, Nettle Sentinel, and Glimpse, but it actually drops Natural Order Okay. Um, hence the hence the chaos. So because uh, uh, without yeah without, without order there's there's chaos. So I, I never got that. <laughs> yeah, I can't say it's the best name ever, but um, we live in a format that has like tin fins, so like chaos is yeah, <laughs> perfectly fine. I still don't know where that name came from, but yeah, so someday I'll find out. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so the chaos version of elves actually drops natural order in favor of opening up more main deck slots for uh, combo hate and hate against uh, control decks. So you'll often see things like Collector Oof, Gadok Teague, traditionally, Rens Run Packmaster, and cards of cards like that. These days, um, you'll probably see, if you are seeing any sort of chaos lists around, You'll probably see things like Endurance, Collector Oof, Rex Sage, Grist the Hunger Tide, which has been a really big addition to the deck as well. And I'll talk more about that card in a moment. But you'll see more of those utility bullets over um, things like Natural Order, where you're just looking to eke out advantage or get certain decks in certain spots until you can either outcard advantage your opponent attack in with a bunch of little creatures or glimpse them out into a into a hoof mm-hmm. so so I, I would say that the the nettle heritage uh engine 
deck um, is still very much popular. The, the Chaos list is the least popular these days. Um, I've actually been kind of, I was kind of curious and I was actually running a, an updated Chaos list from what Julian posted on uh, itsjulian.com. And I did drop a lot of what he used to play, things like Gaddock Teague, um, and I've updated them with like Endurance and Rexage and Oof. And um, I've had some moderate success with it. It's, it's definitely not bad, but as far as the new cards that Elves has gotten in the last couple of years, I think it's still a weaker version than the traditional list that you'll find using Reclaimer. And that kind of leads me into the, uh, yeah, the, the last list, which is the Reclaimer list. Mm -hmm. So, um, and we can talk about the, the major differences. So one thing you'll note about the Reclaimer lists is that they usually don't play Nettle Sentinel. So it drops Nettles for Elves Reclaimers but still keeps some number of heritage druids and, uh, and or Birchlow Rangers. So the big draw to Elvish Reclaimer over Nettle Sentinel is that Reclaimer is a hardier creature. It just survives a lot more. Uh, it's a better post-board creature. Um, it's a better creature against the field, really. Uh, it's more utility. And it's a tutor for uh, all your utility lands on a stick. Mm. Um, so there's really a lot going for Reclaimer. And to be honest, it's probably one of the best creatures in Legacy. Um, oh, yeah. 100%. I think because of the decks it, it shows up in, uh, and one thing, I think it's basically just Elves and Green-White Depths at this point. I think it's Green-Black uh, green Depths as well. But um, it's definitely one of those cards that the effect does not seem as dominant as it is, but like you're getting, <laughs> you're getting a gaze cradle or you're getting the, the depth. or you're getting your, um, that's being stage. I mean, you can even, depending on the deck, if you're playing like post, right. You could go find a, um, like cloud post or something like that. If you need to, like it, it does put in a lot of, a lot of work. I, I don't think people, kind of realize how powerful that is this is one of the cards i think that probably needs to be built around more in, in modern probably underutilized yeah i would agree with that actually and i think you're starting to see some now if i'm not mistaken there's the the new gem list that starting to take advantage of reclaimer mm -hmm. um you're seeing a lot and you know in concert with a lot of the utility lands that keep on getting printed which i don't think is going to be a trend that's going to stop I think you're only going to see more lands with utility on them as a way for wizards to kind of smooth out games and um, kind of reduce the quote-unquote feel bads of variance mm -hmm. because of the, the mana system. I think you're only going to see lands that do more in the future. Um, and as far as a card like Reclaimer, it's just going to add more and more value, um, especially in the context of modern where you have like... Uh, Ren and Six that can return lands and just get your, your value back. You're essentially just tutoring for, like, tombing for spells and then getting your spell back every turn, which is insane. Uh, and that actually leads me into a new card that was printed that Reclaimer can search for, and that's Beseju. So I want to kind of talk a little bit about just the suite of utility lands that Reclaimer can get and kind of the uh, conversation around um, the land suite in general. So what 
makes Reclaimer great in Elves is somewhat what makes Reclaimer great in, in Depths. But in Elves, what it's doing is it's usually finding you bullets like Bog, Wasteland, Cabal Pit, which is uh, sees some play out of the sideboard for sweeping up um, or targeting uh, creatures. It's especially good against Death and Taxes creatures, Hate Bears, like you would see with Peacekeeper or Ethersworn Canonist and those type of effects. It can search up a Cradle, it can search up a Yabi Maya, an extra fetch land, a Thin. Um, it can even search up a Dryad Arbor end of turn in mm -hmm. case you have the Cradle in hand. And that basically nets you like two additional mana, which is pretty awesome. You can do like the block, the block sack with Reclaimer as well. I know some elf players have been experimenting again with Golgari Rock Farm to fetch farm to bounce Beseju as kind of like a spell. So Reclaimer does a lot. It really, really does. And that's the biggest difference between these lists and the Nettle lists is that Reclaimer on its own is kind of it's kind of like a pseudo visionary where it's getting you a card. It's it's a land, but the land does so much for you mm -hmm. in so many spots that it's gonna put you over the edge. And we haven't even talked about the fact that Reclaimer transforms itself into a three four. Oh, yeah. when you have enough lands in the yard mm -hmm. and that that in and of itself is actually insanely huge because not only are you upgrading your 2-2 into a 3-4 um, but now you can survive all of these cards that you weren't able to before you can have a resilient threat to lightning bolt to any two damage spell to any minus two minus two effects um yeah it's it's just awesome and the fact that you get to play four of them, like, it's just wow. Like, really can't sing the praises of Elvish Reclaimer uh, enough. Uh, it, it, it's just a very, very strong card on its own. Yeah, and it, it's funny, too, just that the extra, the fact that, the, like, a base one, two is already kind of tough, too, when you're thinking about removal spells, because, like, you know, the end hostility we kind of mentioned before sweeps up a lot of stuff, doesn't it, Reclaimer? Um, so you kind of want to like use like a lightning bolt or something like that on it, or you know chain lightning if you have it. But then you know you still have to deal with like Althor Shepherd. You still have to deal with Wirewood Symbiote. You still have to deal with you know I don't know like, a lot of other creatures like Grist even coming down later. Like you don't necessarily want to use a premium removal spell on Elvish Reclaimer, but it's the premium card, so you kind of have to. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Um, I've I even had people force my Elvish Reclaimers. Um, so, like, people definitely respect the card, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's... And that's what... That's definitely one of the things that makes this version, uh, I think, stronger over over just the plain Nettleists, because the Nettleists really double down on the synergy mm -hmm. aspect. And... I don't necessarily think I think that in the current meta I like the reclaimer lists more okay I think that each list has its strengths and weaknesses and they kind of lean into that um like chaos might be um extra good against control but the problem is is that control is already a good matchup for you so you don't really need that 
which is part of the reason why um, not a lot of people pick it up. Uh, the nettle lists are more straightforward and they tend to maximize the glimpse of nature. Um, the Elvis Reclaimer lists are more grindy, more controlly, and they tend to maximize natural order a little bit more because they can have that consistent mana production off of uh, Cradle. Hmm. So I would, I mean, I would say that uh, the Reclaimer lists probably are the best list or the best type of build currently for what they do and how resilient they are because a lot of the times you know at the end of the day you're just playing a uh you're still playing a tribal you know a tribal deck right yeah but you want if someone wants to hate you out they definitely can but i think elvis reclaimer gives you the better chance of winning in post-board games uh versus something like nettle sentinel which is really kind of more geared toward your core combo so okay. it's, a, it's a much better plan b i guess having the it is glimmer. yeah it is it is especially when you can turn them into three fours and just turn them sideways um and sometimes you even get more like resilience against combo like by having like the main deck bazooka bog and reclaimer i've definitely had games where like you know you play reclaimer turn one your opponent plays like a turn timber symbiosis land and you're like okay second land go and then you just play pass go until like they either combo off and lose because they're playing oops all spells or you just kill them yeah. or find it yeah find it opening to kill them so uh, um you mentioned some other cards too in the in that have been kind of recent additions um alpha shepherd Endurance, too, is another one we're kind of seeing popping up a little bit more here. And Grist, um, the, the Hunger Tide. Can you talk about those three cards in the deck and kind of what they what they do, what they help with? Yeah, so, um, so the newest additions to the deck, and these tend to be found in, in both versions, um, are Allosaur Shepherd, uh, Grist the Hunger Tide, uh, Archon of Valor's Reach, which is sometimes in and out. Um, and then you'll usually have a flex slot or two on the, on the creature side, which can be like Endurance or Collector, depending on what type of combo decks or um, uh, fair decks you want to target. So I'll start from the top and kind of we can take a look at the Allosaurus Shepherd. And this card is actually pretty insane this card uh when it came out i know some folks were kind of uh lukewarm on it some were all in um it was kind of a an extreme it was kind of like an extreme uh where you were either playing one or none because the card was so expensive and hard to find mm -hmm. since it came out in the supplementary set for, was that jumpstart i believe it was, it was jumpstart, jumpstart yeah yeah so it came out in jumpstart and it was a already initially hard to find because wizards has kind of kind of a weird policy for printing online so it was hard to get any good testing in with it the folks that were playing it were playing like three to four and like saying it was insane it's a it's a one one for uh one green mana and um some people uh some people love to hate this card because it's kind of 
it kind of almost supplants Deathrite Shaman in a way, mm-hmm. but it just does a couple. It just does things differently, but we can <laughs> we can come at that text box from the top. So, firstly, it says that it can't be countered. Um, I've tried. Which is, <laughs> you've tried. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. And then I've... you cast like a giant Merktide, right? No, I just like cast the daze and just like looked at it. I was like, ah, it's not that. Okay. Yeah. Well, I put this island back in my hand now. It's awkward. <laughs> it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's some people don't like that first line of text, but I feel like a lot of people don't like the second line of text even more, which is green spells you control can't be countered. I, for some reason, I thought it was like green creature spells or like elf spells. It's like, nah, just, just green ones, I guess. So, like, I've tried to counter, like, Sylvan's Crying, like, out of eight <laughs> posts, and they're like, no, that's not how that works. I was like, that's not how that works. That's that's great. Um, yeah, I've gotten got by, I've tried to counter Endurances, uh, Sylvan's Crying. Uh, it's just, like, uh, Grist I've tried countering, that didn't work either. So, that's a pretty good line of text. The most awkward is when they play Shepherd and then they play... What's the evolution card? It's like green and a green and a blue. Oh, neoform. Yeah, when they go neoform. Yeah. And you're like, mm, yeah, okay. <laughs> you got me. Yeah. But yeah, this card has. It's interesting. This card has had. It's gone from zero to four, and then more more recently back down to three, and we can talk about that uh, in a second. But the last line of text here is also pretty relevant too it's four green green until end of turn each elf creature you control has base power toughness five five and the most important part they all become dinosaurs absolutely i mean you get a jurassic park up in here right oh uh, yeah i mean yeah is it like <laughs> do you feel like do a number of games end like that like i, I imagine if you have green sun zenith you're normally just going for crater of behemoth but is it does this kind of serve as, like a, as a backup hoof in some spots? Yeah, it does. It does. Um, and actually, in certain scenarios, it's more correct to go for the 5-5 five, five play than it is to go for the hoof. Um, and the reason being is that, like, if, you, if you're expecting them to have something like a Glacial Chasm or... Um, anything that can essentially fog your attack, mm-hmm. then you can save the resource in your hand and just flood the board without much repercussion. Mm. But it has to be more or less a deck that can't really punish you that much for uh, flooding to the board, um, because that's kind of that's kind of the counterplay. Is that like end of risk? Is that mm-hmm. like if you go all in with Shepherd, then? you have to have those resources essentially vulnerable to either like spot removal or a sweeper. But a lot of the other cards in the deck kind of like Wirewood Symbiote um, and Elvish Visionary, they kind of insulate you. And to some extent, even um, Quirin Ranger, they kind of insulate you in a way uh, from the spot removal and from the sweepers to allow you to, to do that. So but this card has been insane. Like it's, it's been very good. But the uh, the recent trend has actually been a lot of players adopting three rather than four. 
And the reason behind that is that there really aren't a lot of chalice decks in the meta right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Prismatic Ending has kind of chased those decks out to some extent. And Delver being uh, one of the better decks right now, it just kind of... They have so many tools against it, including uh, meltdowns from the sideboard, that Chalice is kind of... Mm, it's kind of meh. Um, I think the premier Chalice deck in the format right now is 8-cast, I believe, right? Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, so... Um, which, you know, they're playing it because uh, it's still a great card, don't get yeah. me wrong, but um, it's something that I believe used to see more play in the past, and I think a couple years ago was actually on the the short list of people uh, wanting a ban for it, mm -hmm. if I remember. Um, but the main reason why folks are scaling back is uh, control. Um, this card is good against control, but it's not always necessary. And a lot of the times you can kind of grind through that matchup with uh, Grist, Elvish Visionary, and Wirewood Symbiote. And you often just don't need the fourth Shepherd. Um, and you can kind of use it as bait to get your card advantage online hmm. uh, and kind of take them into the, the mid and late game. So, and that's, and folks also want to just like in, increase the amount of silver bullets they're playing uh, in the main deck as well. So, but don't get me wrong, card is still busted. Yeah, card's very good. That, that's definitely one of the bigger, in my mind, one of the bigger additions to the to the elf deck. I mean, I think to green decks and legacy in general, I think is the Alistair Shepherd's just really been a beating. Um, how about the Collector Oof? That just seems like a interesting card to have the, in the main deck of some of these um, Elves lists. Yeah, so I want to give credit where credit is due um, and kind of put this, like, put it on the record. Uh, if you know Hello Newton, mm -hmm. he's been the biggest progenitor of all of the Reclaimer lists, uh, all of Reclaimer lists. Okay. Um, and he's been putting up the most numbers out of anyone with the, this version of the deck. And this is where the Reclaimer list came from uh, Newton to begin with. So he has been kind of like the steward and the champion of Elvish Reclaimer in Elves and this sort of configuration of the deck. Um, as far as Collector Oof goes, uh, he's been playing it main and it's kind of the combo silver bullet it kind of does. Um, it kind of does a couple of things. It poses artifact decks like eight cast um, and other decks that heavily rely on activations of artifacts, like storm, um, um, the epic gamble. Yeah, storm, the epic gamble, um, to some extent, uh, other combo decks as well. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of one of your uh, hate bullets against them. It used to be Gaddock Teague, uh, but Gaddock Teague really just doesn't do what you want it to do anymore. And so many powerful artifacts and artifact strategies are using and abusing uh, those cards recently that it just makes more sense to go with the uh, the oof. Um, you see, like a massive adoption. You you've seen like a massive spike in Mox Opal decks 
essentially from when Mox Opal got printed all the way up to now. And that's really just because you're getting a lot of more powerful enablers printed into the format that are surrounding like artifact strategies that it just makes sense to, to play those cards. And Oof really kind of does a number on those. And the, uh, the second bullet there is endurance. And let me talk to you. Let me talk to you for a second about endurance. So endurance is actually completely insane. Oh, yeah. Um, especially in the Delver matchup. Mm-hmm. I would say that, and don't get me wrong, like it's good against graveyard decks too. It's just not against certain graveyard decks. It's a little worse, like reanimator and decks that can kind of set up uh, or have a fast follow to whatever they're trying to bin. Yeah, um, Hogak is the one that kind of comes to mind where it endurance is very good on the one turn in the one spot, but like if you get going, it's it doesn't matter because you know you got to fight an eight eight avatar. Like, the game gets a lot harder. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, like, Hogak could also just cast their, like, two ones and attack. So mm-hmm. it's putting pressure on you that way as well. Um, but this card is actually, uh, it not only helps you against the Graveyard Deck's main deck, but it also helps you against Delver as well. Um, when you can cast a Graveyard Hate spell for free, uh, it makes playing around days very good. It keeps a Murktide from coming down, which is really your biggest problem card in the matchup as far as a threat is concerned, mm-hmm. uh, in my opinion. Um, if you if there's anything you want to dodge, it's a it's a Murktide. Like I bend over backwards to not see that card hit the battlefield, but this thing blocks Delver all day. It blocks Dragon Rage Channelers. Um, it could two for one a Dragon Rage Channeler, and they have to attack into it. So uh, it's it's really kind of an all-star in that match. I can't, I, I can't sing this, the praises of this card enough, to be honest. Yeah, this, uh, but yeah, so sorry, go ahead. No, definitely a, a multi-format all-star. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not surprised to to see it main here. Um, I know Newton has been playing Collector Oof and Endurance main for a while now, um, so this is kind of just like, this is just kind of like signature signature Newton Reclaimer Elves here. But uh, yeah, other than that, one of the one of the other cards that's been seeing play, and I think more people are starting. It's interesting. This I would call it a mainstay, but Archon of Valor's Reach. So Archon of Valor's Reach is a four green white, so six mana, five six, uh, flying vigilance trample. Um, as it enters the battlefield, you get to choose an artifact, enchantment, instant sorcery, or planeswalker card type, and players can't cast the chosen type. Um, this card is basically the new Gadakti, but stapled to a win condition. Um, it's harder to, it takes more setup to get mm-hmm. down because you need natural order or um fast mana to have access to it but once you get it down it ends games against combo so fast um and that's one of the that's one of the really awesome parts about the card is that it just closes out games while disrupting your opponent it's been it's been pretty good for me and i've I've stuck with the card now for a while i think last year i was trying out 
two hoofs on and off, but for the most part, Archon just pulls a lot of weight with the deck, and I've really liked it. Yeah, I mean, especially talking about some of these decks, like, you know, something like Reanimator, like, Endurance is obviously very good, but, like, if they never get to cast a Sorcery, now you're just dealing with Animate Dead. Like, that's a much easier game plan to have to kind of deal with. Same thing with Delver, for example. Them not having instance is kind of backbreaking. Uh, so it, it is really nice to be able to shut off something specifically, especially having decks like Reanimator, having decks like 8-cast playing so many artifacts. Them not not even being able to cast it and get, it gets countered, right? Just to not cast it at all is really, really, really rough. Yeah, yeah. And actually, um, it's interesting because it actually does work in the mirror as well. Um, if you can't kill your opponent in the mirror, then very often it's just correct to natural order for Archon and just name Sorcery. And sometimes <laughs> that's just enough. It's really funny. Yeah. It's really funny. Um, there's actually a whole thread on the Discord about how, you know, you keep in Grist because if, uh, if they name Archon, then your only out is to kill the Archon and then kill them. Yeah. Or get a um, get an Allosaur Shepherd down and go wide. So mm -hmm. uh, you have some options there, um, and I would say nowadays it probably lends to the mirrors having a little bit more play than they used to, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, the mirrors are just miserable um, because they're basically just a dice roll. Yeah. So, uh, but Archon's been great. I I've loved the card. I haven't always loved the card, um, but in the past year or so, it's been performing very well for me, especially now that you see a lot more artifact decks um, mm -hmm. or artifact dependent decks come up. You can kind of just name artifact and just go to town. It's great against curses too. You just name enchantment. Oh, yeah. uh, although that doesn't always get you there. They have some backdoor ways to kind of, to kind of get you, um, whether it's through like the uh, combo with Helm or just killing the Archon or what have you. So you always have to be careful, but it gives you, it definitely puts the advantage bar in your direction. That's for sure. Any thoughts on uh, Grist the Hunger Tide? So Grist has also been completely insane. The mode, the two, I mean, yeah. I would say the mode I've liked the most or the mode that's probably saved me the most is just the fact that uh, Grist is targetable removal. So I guess I'll stop and, and just kind of go through Grist for those that don't know. Um, it's a Planeswalker. Uh, one green black starts at three loyalty. It's plus one is um, put a 1-1 one, one insect creature token onto the battlefield, um, then mill a card. Uh, if an insect was milled this way, put a loyalty counter on Grist and then do it over again. Minus two is you may sack a creature. When you do, destroy target creature or planeswalker. And then the ultimate is minus five. Each opponent loses life equal to the number of creatures in your group. All modes, totally relevant. Mm -hmm. My favorite mode has probably got to be the minus two that is the most relevant when i'm staring down like a big murktide or something that i just have to kill and get off the board it could be like an opposing elvish reclaimer 
out of either green white or or post it could be like a big eldrazi it could be something out of like show and tell i think that might be one of my favorite interactions actually is when your opponent show and tells and you get to put in grist and they put in uh like grizzlebrand or something and you just kill whatever they put in yeah so that's always sweet the plus one is super awesome it's basically uh a better 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 bitter blossom you get to make a one one every turn and if you hit a wirewood symbiote you can make two one ones which is super awesome and uh that's a really that's a really neat little synergy there plus you're building towards the ultimate which is uh which could do a number on your opponent, kind of double the damage if you have a big army of elves on the field. Mm -hmm. um, this card is just insane. And the fact that it's all tutorable too, that's that's yeah. the coolest part. That's yeah, the coolest part. It just has so many synergies in the deck, right? You can play quickly off of, you know, a, a, a Green Sun Zenith into Arbor Elf into that, right? So it can come down with current two. It's encounterable through Allosaurus Shepherd. Um, it produces tokens, like you said, that make that you can use to make your uh, creator hoof a little bit bigger. It's just, like... It's one of those cards that, like, also is surprising how powerful it is. Because even, like... And I could be wrong here, right? You can even find it off Once Upon a Time, right? Yeah, that's correct. It's a creature in the deck, so you can find it off of Once Upon a Time. Um, it's plus one mana with a cradle, because you get to put a free creature into the play, mm -hmm. and that adds one mana for your cradle so it could potentially be like a, a land drop too in a way it just does so much for three mana and the fact that it's tutorable and like like half of your spells like could potentially find it like that is it's very very strong yeah like i'm pretty sure i've seen you i, I could be wrong too but I'm, i've definitely seen you green something at four before um, I think I've seen you natural order for it before too, just to kill a, a creature. Like when you, I don't think you have the ability to win off of natural order. Um, but being able to natural order into play still is not the worst thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, Wrist is another tool against those decks that can kind of put you into awkward spots as well. Um, I remember when Deathrite Shama was around. Uh, Deathrite was often a backdoor out to things like Glacial Chasm. Mm -hmm. Very often, Grist was my backup plan against like the post decks, where it was like, well, um, if they go for the early Chasm, then I can go and get Grist and try to race them with the ultimate. Uh, that was uh, that tends to be be the plan. It's a little different nowadays with the advent of uh, the inclusion of the Seiju in the deck. Mm, yeah. um, but Grist is still an incredibly strong card. And it's like whether you're playing, it doesn't matter what version of elves you're playing. I think you're going to see Grist in the main for the foreseeable future. Cool. Yeah. Love that card. <laughs> All right. Let's... Um, Let's transition from talking about elves to talking about just the metagame in general here. Mm -hmm. um, Matthew Fook, uh, also known as Ozymandias on Twitter and on Magic Online, uh, posted this list of decks, um, you know, the legacy tier list, and he does this every month. Um, and I wanted to take a second to kind of talk about this, this list, talk about how the decks kind of come in and how they all kind of play together. Um, the... S tier, and like once again, we don't always see him with an S tier, but the S tier that he has right here is just blue red Delver. 
<laughs> which I, I think it's fair. I mean, I think Blue Red Delver has been putting up some pretty solid results still. Um, I, I, in my mind, even though, you know, losing Ragavan obviously hurts, like, I still think that's kind of the, the benchmark of the format right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I think banning Raghavan really kind of allowed people to kind of enjoy Legacy again mm-hmm. and kind of like as they play it. But it still keeps, I think other cards still keep Blue Red Delver at the top. Um, I think the performance in challenges kind of shows that. And I think other decks are catching up or in a good position to beat Delver. But it's, I think Delver is just has all the best combination of cards that competitive players really want to be playing with in the first place, yeah. plus like all of the optimized um, threats. And if you if you play it well, I think on any given weekend, you'll do well. Um, I know that a lot of folks have been kind of talking about, well, you know, X, Y, and Z from the deck still should get banned. Um, I know that Wizards said has said that they're still kind of looking and paying close attention to the data to see uh, if any further action needs to be taken. Um, and I I agree with the Ragavan. I agreed with the Ragavan ban. I think that that was a good card to take out. Um, if not for power, then just for the enjoyment factor that everyone has been kind of uh, kind of harping on. Um, especially the combo players. I know that a lot of what Ragavan did to the format kind of made things like discard somewhat unplayable. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that Wizards design philosophies have kind of been doing that as well. Yeah. But, you know, you get... <sighs> yeah, so... I think that Delver, in one form or another, is definitely the top dog. Um it's probably been knocked down a peg or so, but it's still probably clearly the best choice or the best thing to be doing. Yeah, I think people are still kind of trying to figure out like the best configuration. I think people are on like one brazen bar on the main deck at this point mm-hmm. and pretty happy about it. I think it, it a good all around card and it deals with some other you know problematic cards in the format, whether that's you know omniscience or merit lage or whatnot, and obviously opposing Merktide region. So um, I think as we get that list a little solidified maybe you'll see it kind of drop off uh, this is one of those things too like going into the deck you're like okay well i know they have these creatures these creatures these creatures you're waiting for the brazen borrower waiting for the brazen borrower and eventually they're like oh young pyromancer you're like wait do you not have do you not have brazen borrower like is that not <laughs> um but i think as we get more results i think we'll get more solidified lists people will get a little more comfortable with that and be able to attack the deck a little more consistently we're just i don't think we're quite there yet yeah um and i like that inclusion i mean brazen borrower does a lot in a lot of matchups mm-hmm. uh especially against like the depth decks which is yeah. i think one of your worst matchups mm-hmm. so that inclusion in the main i really like i know the big debate recently has been uh mystic sanctuary or not yeah um and i know this has historical precedence because of the mystic sanctuary out of uh grix's delver mm-hmm. with painful truths yeah um and i think you were a big fan of that weren't you when you were playing it i was yeah i mean it, it's just another way to kind of grind out the game and um it missed 
in the Grixis list in particular, right, when you were playing Grixis, you know, many, many moons ago, like, I played that at GP Louisville, I don't know what year that would have been, 2018, 2019, um, but when you were playing that deck with Death Shaman, like, it's very easy to get that three for one, and there aren't really matter, many better options at this point. Um, having Expressive Iteration is just such an efficient spell that you might not need to be able to grind that back in, you know, put that back on top to draw more cards and kind of think about it. It's kind of counterintuitive anyways, because like you could, you're already going to see one card. So like there's a lot of times I've been doing it and I'll try to be more man efficient and put like brainstorm back on top or, um, I'm trying to, I'm in a counter war or anticipating a counter war. I'm going to put pyroblast back on top or force of will, a force of negation. Um, I put a force of negation back on top for lands before, um, so I could try to exile their uh, life from the loam. Like, there's just a lot of utility to Mystic Sanctuary. Um, obviously, it does come in a tap if it's not one of the earlier lands. So you, you need it to be a, a slower game in, in the first place. But I think that's I think that's fine. Like, you know, I've, I've been able to put, like, Meltdown back on top. And, like, no one expects the third Meltdown. Uh, <laughs> like, um, so I, I've personally liked it. But I, I definitely get where... It, you might not be a fan, but, you know, in the mirror, you know, having more expressive iterations is usually the sign of winning the game anyways. And if I can play five or six, right, if you can daze it back to your hand and replay the Mystic Sanctuary again, it, it wins a lot of games. So. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. I do kind of buy the argument, though, that expressive iteration has kind of crowded out Mystic Sanctuary's value, where, like, expressive is just such a powerful card that you don't really need the mystic sanctuary mm -hmm. um but i do i do kind of like having that as an option i do see like i do see it potentially being a little problematic in a two-color deck that is slanted to be a little bit more aggressive yeah um where you know you're running wasteland you're running like delver and um Dragon Rage Channeler, like those are two one drops that are off color. Mm -hmm. So you're already playing or trying to configure your mana to be optimal. Um, I know that, you know, Steam Vents has, has seen more play for that exact reason, right? Mm -hmm. Like you want to be able to have days up, but also cast both your spells. So, it, you know, you're making a, a compromise there. And I think it might be, it might come down to, um, like, it all comes down to what you enjoy more, but like as far as the correct configuration or the most consistent, um, it would make sense to me to not play Mystic Sanctuary and have a more uh, consistent mana base overall. Yeah, I think I think you lose a lot of games in like in the mirror in particular by just not having the ability to actually play your lands, <laughs> and you know having a basic island for example that's not going to get wastelanded. Um, that, you know, if you, if worst comes to worst, right, you keep a one lander, you can at least go, um, play an island, ponder, and play a mountain the next turn, and, you know, play your lightning bolt and not have to worry about getting, um, hit off your land. So, like, Mystic Sanctuary is, is taking up one of those slots, right? Like, yeah. I'm gonna, I only have to get to play 19 lands, and one of them is going to be able to be wastelanded. Um, and I've done <laughs> I don't, I don't, that's not good advice, but I've done this before where, like, my opponent 
Playthere, Volcanic Island, I go Wasteland, Surgical, and they're just like, ooh, oh, that's that's awkward. <laughs> it's like, yeah, so now now you get to, I get to look at your uh, your deck and you have one Steam Vents and one Mystic Sanctuary. So good luck, I guess, with yeah. that. <laughs> like, you're not winning. Exactly. It's not going to go well for you. So. Exactly. But I think it's still clearly the best deck and the best thing to be doing mm-hmm. by uh, by a fair bit that I wouldn't, yeah, I, I don't think anything is going to change. I think, you know, you look at the decks on this list, right? And I think, I mean, it's true. Like, there are decks getting cards, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can see that further down the list with, like, Acast. But, like, you know, I don't think that other decks on this list incrementally getting, like, playable to good to great cards are is going to necessarily tip the scales uh in another deck's favor i think delver is kind of going to remain on top until something else happens yeah i do too um so talk about the the decks a little further down uh we do have just guy if you want to call it uh day breacher if you want to call it days undoing control um that that deck uh green white depth got lands which we have been seeing like the eight mulch version uh, variant of that deck too um which i think has been putting up some uh, pretty promising results um and then also you've got like the four color or control lists um and you also have death and taxes the green white depths and death and taxes in particular always strike me as decks that are are very good at like challenges like i think a lot of challenges and I could be wrong with this too, but I, I just feel like every time I see like a showcase challenge, it's always won by death and taxes, and there's three green white depth players in the top eight, and like the win percentage is like seventy percent. Um, but I also kind of, in my opinion, looking at these lists, these are just decks that have a decent Delver matchup. <laughs> no, yeah, that makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. Although green white depths should be in a garbage can, but. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah. I had to take one swipe at Mapson. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, actually, uh, on the contrary, I think Green White Depths is actually in a, a really good spot. Um, hmm. I know I know that the general consensus with people who play the deck say that the Death and Taxes matchup is hard. Um, I've definitely found it difficult or at least tricky to navigate. Um, I definitely think, you know, from my limited experience with it, it's definitely winnable. Uh, but tricky. Um, but I mean, you know, looking at these other decks here, like Delver being the top dog, Green White is going to have a good matchup against them. Um, it might have a rougher time against Control, but I think you can fix that post board. Um, there aren't too many other like combo decks that are running around that you're really scared of, at least in a challenge meta. Mm-hmm. Um, and lands has shot up in popularity a lot which is a deck that you should be good against because you have access to uh neither reliquary um which traditionally has been a a really good card against the lands matchups i can't speak as much for the um the eight mulch versions which i think are more of our more of an aggro variant that kind of just dumped the lands onto the battlefield but it it also seems like it would be okay there too um the biggest question mark that i have is this like just guy days undoing deck that yeah. is around um i don't what do you i mean i know that you and mapson have talked about it and you guys i think 
aren't really too big on the deck. Like, why do you think this deck um, is has stuck this time around? So I think part of it is the fact that they they kind of figured out a way to to be annoying without kind of having their pants down as much. I think the big issue, the fact was Ragvan put them in this weird spot where they couldn't be as efficient as they needed to to play the game they needed to. Like, I, I kind of think this a little oddly, but the fact that Ragavan could dash, get away from that sorcery speed removal that they have in Prismatic Ending, and be able to attack and, you know, develop this incremental advantage. Like, there are definitely some games where Ragavan comes down on turn one, they can never get rid of it, that's fine. But, like, they were going to lose that game to any creature you cast. Um, it's the fact that there are just games where, like, you just accrue this massive mana advantage, you can't actually resolve your hull breacher, and, like, even if you can't resolve your hull breacher, you're paying three mana at instant speed to block a Ragavan that just dies. Like, that doesn't seem like it's actually in your favor. Um, and now you've got one less creature to try to do this, this combo with that is dependent on having a blue planeswalker in play or a blue creature in play and resolving a three mana spell at hopefully instant speed but maybe at sorcery speed like it's very fragile and you know having blue red delver especially in the the last iteration of of the legacy format where it was so prevalent it's it's a really hard sell that they're going to resolve two three mana blue permanents and they're both going to survive you know one permanent one spell um i i I think right now we're in a place where you can position the game just as a control deck. You can leverage Prismatic Ending a lot more effectively. Um, You can make sure that your removal spells are going for the one mana creatures in Delver Secrets or Dragon Rage Channeler. You can save the Source of Plowshare for the Merchant region, and you can just eventually win the game just playing as a control deck. Not a not a great control deck, obviously, because you are playing a 3-2 with Flash, right? Um, the worst mm-hmm. ambush viper ever, but um, you can eventually, you know, essentially just, like, kind of cheese them out with a combo. Mm-hmm. I, I think that kind of works for them now, but Ragavan, I think, messed up the plan so much. Now, without Ragavan, I, you at least have this option here. Uh, I still don't think it's great. I, I, I played against... I forget his name, um, but he top aided the SCG in Philadelphia, um, the the five K, and literally the one game I'm way ahead, <laughs> and and he just goes and it turned Holbrecher, and I look at my hand and I've got like five cards in hand and I'm like I got nothing, so and he's like shocked mm-hmm. that I that it resolves and it gets to stay in play and he untaps he's like days I'm doing it's like. Yeah, I mean that's fine. That's that's just gonna happen. Like I have no, I have no play here. Like dude, I'm not losing this game because I I didn't have, you know, this was the the perfect timing and like this the timing was awkward. It was like a middle school dance, but like <laughs> it's I have no interaction. Like that's that's just the reality of it. And I feel like a lot of the games that you win versus Blue Red Delver, unfortunately, right now it's it's you have to run them out of resources, which I think is what kind of what you have to do. Um, but I don't think the format in general gives you that much time to do that. And I think the format already is pretty on, on top of not allowing people to just pl- cast blue spells at will. Like, even, like, depth, right? Like, green-white is often splashes. Like, the, the taiga 
in the in the deck, so you can pyroblast stuff if you need to, or lands obviously. Um, you know, we've seen versions of that that are playing like four pyroblasts in the sideboard. Like you can't just cast blue spells willy nilly. Um, mm-hmm. And if you're gonna, so you need to set them up. And like, if you can't set them up, it's just really, really bad. So, um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's just in a spot where it, it at least is an option, and it, it is kind of it's one of those things too. When you do get to, you know, wheel your opponent and make seven treasures, like you feel like the coolest person in the world. So I think that's <laughs> part of the appeal as well. But I, I, I think that's one of those decks. I think when we look back in like six months, it'll it'll definitely have dropped off. And we'll be like, remember when we used to play Dathan doing? And I think that's kind of what happened before, right? Like the deck was popular, and then people were like, "I, I can't do this in good, <laughs> in good faith. Like this is not a good idea. Like Interall can only do this for so long before people are like, I, this is not a justifiable strategy." Yeah, part of me wonders if it's not a response to so many proactive game plans forcing you to do something powerful. Like mm-hmm. I'm looking at the tier lists here, and like every deck in the top like three like tiers Mm -hmm. they all have some sort of proactive like strategy to them say for like dnt and like four color Uro, right Mm -hmm. Um, and you can even argue that like i mean i guess dnt is like it's like weird that i'm saying that dnt is like the most control deck out of everything here but i think it might be i think you're right yeah um, I mean, even Four Color Uro wants to put Uro in the yard and start getting that engine going. Mm-hmm. And when you're tagging with a 6-6, your opponent's not doing too much. Like, yeah, you're, you're probably closing out that game fairly quickly. Um, even though traditionally the Four Color control decks have been, like, very slow to close out games, it's probably just because, you know, the graveyard is a centric choke point that everyone tries to uh, screw you on, essentially. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean... Blue or Delver forces you to do something. Jeskai Days, they might have adopted. Like, I feel like maybe that is the reason why it's sticking around because it's a control deck with kind of a proactive semi combo plan where it's like, okay, now I have seven cards, you have nothing, and I have all this mana. Like, I'm definitely going to win now, right? Um, it kind of puts them in a spot where, you know, if they do their thing, then. The advantage bar is like way in their direction. Uh, green white depths, obviously, you know, 2020s lands, 2020s Urza tokens, like Saga tokens, and then like, uh, you know, if you're playing aggro versions, 2 2 zombies. So, mm. you know, most of these have proactive game plans associated with them. And I wonder if that's just not an adaptation of a control deck to be more, more quote-unquote aggro combo if you will yeah i can see that i mean like because if you think about depth or it really is a mid-range deck with a combo capability lands is a control deck with a i guess with the eight most variant especially like with a combo possibility so i guess it kind of makes sense to have another control deck in just guy days that just has a combo (laughs) ability to it as opposed to like the four color uro and depth decks that are really are just control decks i mean once again i guess you like you said the there's a an aggro component to both of those decks but they are really just control decks here yeah um what do you think about uh it's interesting he says that uh green white is underplayed i feel like dnt might be underplayed as well 
I yeah, I think I think both of them are underplayed. I think Green White is a deck that it, it's not sexy, and I, I've said this to, about Death and Daxes as well. Like they're you can do so many cool things. Like I can, I can I can cast Hole Breacher. I can cast Jason doing together. Oh my! I can cast a Kappa Cannoneer. Like oh, so I can cast Doomsday, and then it's like or I could I could play a land. And then and then play another land and then play a third land and if they don't have a wasteland I can I can maybe activate the land but that seems dangerous because maybe they have a Thor's Plowshare in their hand and I don't wanna I don't wanna die on the spot like it's just one of those decks that like does not it does not sound as appealing as casting my Merc Tide like you know I mean, I've cast seven seven Merc Tides on turn three like that's that's pretty fun I have a good time doing that. Um, and there's just a lot of really powerful and neat things you can do in the legacy format that, like, playing a green creature that's modern legal, followed by playing another green creature that's modern legal, followed by playing a land that's banned in modern, and then not doing anything with it for multiple turns because it doesn't tap for mana and you can't, you can't go for it now. It, like, doesn't sound like that appealing, and I think Death and Taxes has the same thing where, like, I can cast Dahlia and... Literally, I can literally cast Dahlia, Guardian of Three, been in standard right now, and I'm gonna. That's the that's the card I'm like breaking my my back for. I'm gonna I'm gonna spend all my Saturday casting Guardian of Three, but modernly legal, not playable card. Like, um, and that that's not fair to the card, right? Like, the card obviously is much better in Legacy than it is in in standard, but like, it just doesn't hit the same itch for a lot of players. Um, and kind of regardless of how good the deck is, and, like, I've, I played Death and Access for years, and that was one of the decks that, like, you know, I, I played and just did did the thing. Like, I just did the work, and you, you get good finishes with it, and just nobody's impressed when you lose to Death and Access. You're just kind of upset that you, you know, you got there. But, like, the deck is really, really powerful. Like, I think that's the one thing, in, you know, we have... Um, we've had XJ on... Um, how about Jason Murray on? We should get Jason Murray on at some point. Oh, yeah. He'd be a great guest, yeah. He'd, he'd be fantastic. Uh, that'd be dope. Yeah. So, but, like, you know, they keep putting up finishes with the, with the same deck. I mean, like, it, how much has Death and Taxes changed in the past two years? Like, it is just the same deck. They, they added Urian, and they, you know, broke the deck, and, like, that's that's it now. But it just they don't see play. They, I don't think they're ever going to see the amount of play they should just because it's they're, it's a green white deck and it's a white deck. Like they're just not sexy. Yeah, that makes sense. And the play style is like very much, like very punishing sometimes. If you're not like, especially for D and T, probably mostly just for D and T, where it's like if you aren't used to interacting on the axis that they want to interact on, mm -hmm. then it's very easy for you to botch a certain play or totally miss it entirely, and then just kind of like lose. Um, it kind of has that same flavor that Elves has, where it's like, if you're tutoring for something, what do you tutor for? Yeah. Like, you have a lot of cards that have impacts in certain situations, but some interact on certain axes better than others, um, and some just completely shut them off. So, yeah, uh, yeah I could see that. And there's a, there's, especially with Death of Daxes, too, like, the difference between, like, you know, I'm playing against my opponent, and, like, do I cast my Thalia here, or do I like Rashad and Port it's like you know that that will that will decide the game one way or the other and you have to be right because if you're wrong you're never going to be able to catch up on my card advantage 
Um, like that's another kind of like brutal fact there. Um, I think depth is in a similar boat, right? Because when you go for the combo and you, it's not safe, you you just lose. Like you can obviously rebuild, and if they don't have anything, any kind of follow up, you you know you can go for it again. But like there's a lot of times you go for the combo, they they do have that. Um, I was going to say wipe away. They never have wipe away, but you know they do have that. Um, petty theft, right? And now, now the game is just way out of reach. You're gonna die to um, a, a flip delver before you get a chance to recover. Like that—that's kind of the reality of deck. And that's another kind of feel bad too. Like at least with delver, like I—they hit my murktide. I, I at least feel like I can recast murktide and try to get back in this game. I can draw a pyroblast and try to kill their murktide or you know whatever. But like the not having blue, not having the comeback mechanic, you get an uro or something like that. Is it, it's a hard sell. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I buy that. I buy that. I think one of the most interesting parts, uh, there's two parts to this list that interest me the most. Mm -hmm. I think one of them is lands moving from B to A and Doomsday moving down from A to B. Yeah, I mean, the the Doomsday, I don't know if you agree with this or not, but I think Doomsday was in this position where it was really, like, a really top-tier option. I still think it is a top-tier option. But, like, they got... They got they got too confident. They got they got too ballsy. They started adding random cards to their deck. Like they're like, I'll, I'll play Murktide too, and I'll play you know all these different cards. And I'm like, I'm like, you need to do that though. Like I I'm gonna argue and say that Doomsday was better before they started playing um, creatures in the deck, and like they, I know they were playing what's what's that card called the disturbed one that makes your thing. Oh, go. yeah, it's like the wizard. Is it like a one three? mana leak on the front side yeah like a, a fourth spike or spell pierce or some some nonsense yeah like yeah I, that the deck was better before they started playing stuff like that and i think once they started doing that people were like okay so let's 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 put this back um let's try playing some cards that are gonna stop this from not this from happening and they're like okay you know what i've seen your torpor orbs i understand the error of my ways i will <laughs> I, I understand I was wrong. Like that's I don't know if that's I don't know if that's fair or not, but I kinda think that's kinda what put them back a step and I, I don't think they quite recovered from that. I think they will. Like once again I do think the deck is, is very good. But I don't think you need the creature back plan. I just I just think it exposes you to more um more things that you don't need to be exposed for. Like I think the benefit of playing Doomsday is that like even if they kill your um, your Thassa's Oracle, like, it's too late. Like, I, I'm i only play, playing this card for the ability, like, I don't really care if I get the uh, actual, you know, body or not. Like, that's that's not why I'm playing this card. Mm. Uh, but I am, like, I'm kind of, I'm scrolling around trying to find lists that are playing it, and there aren't that many. There is one by Yamayama that is playing the Malevolent Hermit. There we go. We figured out the name. Mm. Um, yeah, and like you said, it's a 2-1 um, for a counter-target non-creature spell unless this opponent pays 3. That's pretty good. So it's a, a better spell pierce there for one one blue mana. Um, and the back side, I think, is obviously the reason you're playing it. I think both sides are, are pretty good, but you know, not being able to counter spells on the back side, I think, is, is pretty insane if you're planning on trying to win the war with Force of Will and Force of Negation and Dazes and Fluster Storms, like, Benevolent Geist is going to shut you down, so I think that's cool, but, like, 
I, I just refuse to believe this is the better version of the deck. I, I don't think you need Baleful Strix in your deck to be pretty good. The, the one iteration that I did like from them was when they were playing that giant, uh, the Time Warp. Like, I think the Time Warp was Oh, the... yeah. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. But the, that but, was very cool. But they're not even playing it now. Like, now <laughs> it's not even in, like, a lot of the list I'm seeing. So, like, I don't know. Yeah, like I heard... Cool. Yeah, I heard um, that that was actually a consideration before adding before people started adding Murktide and the more creatures okay. to the deck, um, and it just turned out not to be that great. You just had better options, um, which makes sense. I mean, yeah, it, it feels like you just want to be as um, streamlined as possible when you build that pile. Yeah, um, I think that i'll be honest and say i don't know if malevolent hermit i really like the card actually mm. and i think there's some there's something about the card that really just there's potential for this card to be very good in mm. some combo deck somewhere i don't know if it's necessarily gonna be doomsday or not mm. seems like it could be um i'm definitely not a doomsday player but um i it just see the back half of it just seems so insane to me yeah that it seems like it could fit into more decks other places i think there was someone running around with a show and tell list playing malevolent hermit actually um okay and that actually seems kind of appealing uh but yeah i don't know I think the jury is still out for me personally on whether or not the creature-centric versions are better or worse. I think, like you said, your plan gets a little watered down mm -hmm. in terms of your consistency if you're splitting between the two. Um, and I think Vuk is like saying that, well, you know, not a lot of people have really registered the list, which I don't know if that is a good sign or not. It really doesn't tell me much yeah. how many people are registering this and playing it. Creatures or no creatures. You know, it could be a bad month for folks and people just don't have enough time. It could be that people are losing more with the deck. Who knows? But I I think this one I would probably disagree with and still put Doomsday, at least the archetype, into the A-list mm -hmm. rather than knocking it down to B. I think it's still a hard deck to interact with when it goes off. Um, you need specific sideboard cards to beat it, and if you don't have those sideboard cards, you're kind of you're kind of messed up. You're probably just going to lose. And traditional storm cards don't really do too much. Like storm hate cards don't really do too much against the deck either. So yeah. I think it's still pretty good. I probably wouldn't have knocked it down a peg, but here we are. Yeah. Also, shout out to Yama Yama. I mean, this sideboard. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sideboard's pretty dope. It's like the, the sideboard mountain to facilitate the uh, Pyroblast, Red Elemental Blast, and the... Hi I can't pronounce his name. <laughs> um, I want to probably, like, Hidekasuku... I can't pronounce the name for the life of me. Uh, the saga that consumes all. Um, and then you also have, like, Plague Engineers on the board, and Sudden Edicts is, like, absolutely Jesus. brutal. Whoever this player is, they came from blood. So I yeah, appreciate that. I can... Oh, man, it's... It's actually, I'm a little, I really don't want to play against uh, the Consume All Saga. That that card just seems 
insane. I was, it was funny. Someone spoiled us in the uh, Elf Discord mm. um, when the set got printed, and they were like, well, <laughs> hope this doesn't see a lot of play. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. I agree. It's Thumber, pretty good. Thomer Brian Cobalt's just like, oh, I feel it. <laughs> like, I don't know what the power oh, is, but. Absolutely. Yeah, he, he played that, like, four-color list. And I, I think that is kind of one of the things we're starting to see with the, the Uro list. Like, there are Uro consume all lists, which are way too many things happening at one time. But, like, it, the card is definitely powerful. It It's surprising. I don't think... I, I don't like a lot of the sagas. One thing, I think the design's really weird. Like, I, I think the creatures should have haste. But, like, I think all the creatures should have haste. I don't I don't know why they don't. Um... So in my mind, they're not as good as they, they probably could be or should be. But like this, it does have really relevant text. Like destroying all the one toughness permanents obviously is very brutal. Um, like it's good versus elves. It's good versus Delver. It's good versus uh, basically everything that kills even like opposing carpet of flowers, right? Like it's, it's just really good. Um, and then being able to exile graveyards, some decks I don't think elves in particular really cares but like that does make your grist a little less powerful um it does you know get rid of the ability for something like um Merktide region and get something uh, gets rid of delirium makes your opposing tarmogoyce a lot smaller like it it is definitely just just good stuff the creature i think is still kind of the jury's kind of out for me still but I, i've seen it do good work so i'm sure it's i'm sure it's fine yeah, it, I mean, funnily enough, the exile graveyard part against elves is actually pretty big. Like, you're shrinking all elvish reclaimers so that mm -hmm. they're boltable. They die to um, multiple plague engineers now, or like pyroclasm. Mm -hmm. you're, uh, you're getting rid of the fodder for grist, so the ultimate really won't hit as hard. Um, not only that, but you're wiping the board as well, all in the subsequent turns. Um, and you're exile like the if you're playing endurance main then you're eliminating the uh resource as the control opponent for them to endurance cards back into the library mm -hmm. um yeah. to reuse for later so it's that's another brutal angle to it so yeah it's funny because like i think it's kind of too bad that the card doesn't get like two mana permanence because yeah. if you played that then you could presumably bring that in against folks who are trying to get you with um with the orb oh the torpor orb yeah that'd be really yeah good. the torpor orb so because you could just like board that in and then have um the sweeping effects to for the orb and then just get them so yeah i guess i'm trying to think even like what what's the destroying that you really care about like out of doomsday right like i guess it because you don't care about cage right um, no no yeah i guess it like because like the cage i guess that's docs the hermit but like i don't think you really care about the hermit also i think if you're willing to exile your whole your whole graveyard you probably don't want to be playing stuff like that that's actually the reason with the Uro list it didn't make any sense to me having those two cards in the same deck i'm like they both cost three mana which i guess is not a huge concern but like it it exiles your whole graveyard all graveyards oh okay bold um so oh wait it, it exiles like their graveyard too yeah it exiles, it exiles all oh. graveyards yeah oh wow okay yeah. uh come for all graveyards. okay i thought it was okay well all right 
all right, Watsy, what are you doing? It's supposed to be your <laughs> opponent's graveyard only. Agreed. You're supposed to gain like 10 life, draw three cards. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, nope. Beach. I want to talk about some of the beach here stuff, and then we we'll we'll stop talking about this list after that. Um, yeah, yeah. We do have uh, what eight cast doomsday. We talked about already. Talk about elves <laughs> in the beat um, before, obviously. Um, that's in the beat here as well, and then also reanimator. Uh, reanimator is definitely the one that has it just kind of fallen off in my mind. Like I I keep forgetting it's a deck, and then it, I play a league. And I'm like, oh, reanimator, and then I I win, and they do nothing. But that's just I think the circumstances. Um, I, I do think Reanimator is one of those decks that, like, it, you kind of see the same thing with uh, you know, Vintage, right? There, there are certain people who show up ready ready to, to defeat the, the enemy and other people who don't. And I feel like Reanimator is just one of those things that is a, like, a card that hits in a cycle. And when it's very good, it's very good. And when it's very bad, it's unplayable. And I think we're just in the part where it's unplayable right now. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um... I, I realize the numbers are the numbers, mm -hmm. and people have been putting up good performances with the deck, especially in challenges, especially very good players. Uh, cough, cough, canister. Yeah. Um, right? Uh, but, I mean, like, same rules still apply, right? Like, Reanimator in metagames where Graveyard Hate really isn't played is going to be insane. And, you know, metas where Graveyard Hate is played, it's not going to be as good. Um I feel like as we march forward and uh, Wizards just keeps printing on more, more, more and more cards, a lot of these cards are going to just incidentally use the graveyard and Reanimator is probably going to fall off more and more um, just generally in the metagame unless a new like zone somewhere gets made or something or uh, another resource um, that gets widely adopted ends up seeing play. But um, like I feel like that's where most of these graveyard decks are headed. And you can see that, right? Like in mm -hmm. terms of like endurance and cards that are getting printed. Um, Even like I don't, Lion Thash out of Death and Taxes. Like the, oh, yeah, Lion Thash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that card, actually. Yeah. That card's sweet. It is, it is sweet. Um, but, you know, you're just going to see more and more cards like this, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. And I think Reanimator can still uh, be totally fine. It, you know, there's like millions of cards, like, right? Like there's only like, what, 30,000 magic cards or something? Only, yeah. But like, you know, there's a million Storm 8 cards, like, mm. <laughs> but like, you know, and Storm still sees play, um, but you have a lot of options to kind of hate those decks out, like always. Um, and as the options get better, like they become more main deckable and more um, widely adopted. So I kind of, I mean, yeah, I think Reanimator was kind of overhyped, to be honest, um, even when it was performing well. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I think it's important to take a look at the run and the matchups and say, okay, well, why did this player come away with, you know, an X2, an X1, an XO performance and a challenge? Oh, well, because they never faced Delver. Oh, okay. In like a Delver heavy metagame. All right. Well, that's kind of like fluky, isn't it? Mm -hmm. All right. Well, there's not much graveyard hate being played. Okay. Well, that's another reason. Right. And then, you know, I think it's important to look at not only the numbers and the performances of the deck, but like the variables that lead to that as well. Yep. Like, right. Because it kind of just reinforces the reality of like, yes, this deck is a graveyard centric combo deck. 
guess what it loses to graveyard hate so it's like you know it's like i I think maybe people were hyping up a story that wasn't the full story necessarily or there was some part of it that wasn't necessarily like there wasn't it wasn't analytically being looked at yeah um i don't know there's just something about it for sure sorry no no you're good and but that's actually what i was going to say that the other card or other deck from this tier that i wanted to talk about was Acast, because I actually feel like Acast is in a very similar story. Mm-hmm. When you're looking at the decks, and I'm looking, we're looking at, I'm, I'm going to post this tweet on the show notes too. So if you want to check this out at home, you're more than welcome. Um, the best performing deck here, just by win percentage, right, is Acast. It's sixty five point five two percent. The next best deck after that would be Lands at sixty two percent. Uh, green white depth is third at 60% and then blue or delver is at 55%. This is misleading in my mind just because of the fact when we're looking at this, it, there's 37 people playing blue red delver. Mm-hmm. Varying skill levels, varying levels of understanding of the legacy format. It's a showcase, so like a lot of them are shoehorned into playing a deck and they're just going to pick the best deck and see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, there are 10 people playing lands, and in my mind, lands is not a deck you decide to just pick up. Like, I think lands is a deck that you understand why you want to be playing lands, you learn the deck, you know the lines, you understand. So I, the 62% for that bears a little bit more true to the, than the 55% for Delver. Hmm. The And I, I do think, one thing, I think lands is a good meta call, I think depth is a good meta call, but like, depth, we're down to 7 players now at 60%. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more variance in my mind there. And once again, there are a lot of Blue Red Delver players here, right? It's you know almost uh, just a quick eyeball. Um, what was it? 40 out of 180, 2 out of 9, right? That's, I'm so tired, 22%, 23%, something like that. Yeah. Or 20, 20.22% of the meta is <laughs> on there. Um, holy, <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> uh, but when you start looking at like 8-cast too, it's, it's four people. Four people in this entire event of 183 people played eight casts. Like, that's not a lot of people. And also, I think we're kind of noticing that eight casts as a deck is just, like, prohibitively expensive. Like, it's it's not a deck you can just play because a lot of people literally cannot afford to play the deck. It's, it's one of the most expensive decks right now to play in Legacy. It's um, looking at the list just at a, a glance. It is over 1,100 tickets. The next most expensive deck, and once again, just an eyeball, is Delver at 800 ticks. Still a lot of tickets, 100%, 100% but like, in this list by, the list that actually won the um, challenge was 1,386 ticks. Like, you're not, who, who has enough money to borrow that deck? Like, yeah. One is four digits, another is three. It's like, yeah, that's <laughs> yes. that's a lot. That's a lot of money. Yeah, so this is one of the decks that, like, sure, like, it, it, it obviously is very good, but, like, if you own, and once again, like, this is only playing three Cannoneers and playing four Urza Sockets, like, that's 500 ticks already. That's that's more than my borrow limit is on, on seven cards. So, like, there's a lot of people who maybe want to play a deck like this, and maybe it's pretty good, but, like, you have to be really invested into this deck. You, this is not a deck you would pick up from, you know, people here and there. Like, you 
have invested into this <laughs> deck. And you, if you're going to be playing this deck, you hopefully know what you're doing. And like the people who are playing this deck, I, I, I could be wrong. I don't, I don't know anything about two JJM, but like y- you really need to have an investment in the format. And the people who, those four people, I'm assuming are a little bit better than the average bear. Like once again, um, I, I, I see eight cast here. Let me go back to the list and see if I can find the. I don't know if I can find the names here. Um, but those are. They're they're good players. They're good players who did, who played really well and put up some pretty solid results. But like, I I don't think that's a. I think if you expand that sample size to more than four people, you you make it ten people like Lands was. I don't think you maintain that win percentage. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's difficult to do that. And I, once again, I I don't know how the this is my other thing too. I I played against it so infrequently in leagues. Um, because it's, once again, it's prohibitively expensive. No, nobody can afford the deck. Um, so, like, you're not getting testing versus that deck. If you are playing Blue Red Delver, uh, you're not seeing this deck. You don't know how to interact with it. You don't can't actually formulate a good, a good game plan out of, you know, thinking about it, you know. Um, Death and Taxes is the same way. Like, I can actually play against Death and Taxes, but how often does Death and Taxes actually see 8-cast and, you know, work on that sideboarding? There's a big advantage of being the deck that's, you know, a pretty strong deck, um, but nobody knows how to play against you. Right. No, I would I would definitely agree with that. Uh, one caveat is mm-hmm. I would say um, that it's hard it's hard being like the mono artifact deck when yeah. you get popular because you have so many, and it, the same thing goes for elves, right? Or mm-hmm. any deck that leans on a synergy too much is that like you have cards out there that people can just slot into their sideboards and they kind of wreck you right yeah. like like meltdowns tend to go up especially i mean i everyone knows they cast as a deck you're expecting to see it expect to see meltdowns and just like other cards that just totally ruin your day yeah. seeds of like, innocence yeah seeds of innocence oh my god yeah but it's like yeah one of the interesting one of the ways i really like to think about win percentage is like basically like okay, I want to understand the context of how a deck does well. Mm-hmm. Like, if you have, like, four players, three players, like, two players, and you have, like, a 60%, 70% win percentage, it's like, well, okay, what did you play against? What are those matchups like? What is your main deck and sideboard like? And that kind of gives me a better view of, like, oh, well, your performance was because you had all good matchups and you got really lucky or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, something of that nature. Whereas, like, if you increase the sample size of players playing that deck, then you just increase the chances for those draws, like, say, out of, like, Blue Red Delver, right, to mm-hmm. good, to be, like, bad or medium, or for you to hit, like, bad matchups. Okay. So, yeah. overall, it should normalize to something around, like, 50-ish, 60%. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully not 60. <laughs> but, like, yeah, so something like 55-ish percent for, like, a healthy metagame, 50%. Uh so, you know, it's it's interesting to see that scale here um, and always keep that in mind when you're looking at the numbers. Um, yeah. Hence, like, confidence intervals and, and whatnot. Exactly. So, but, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's actually one of the things, quick, like, sidebar, it's one of the things that I've been working on with elves and kind of, like, analysis. It's, mm-hmm. like, and kind of digging into more of the numbers, especially around, like, um, uh, certain cards like Once Upon a Time and stuff, um, 
and just seeing how like certain cards perform over time and kind of trying to gather like and be more data driven with where you end up in terms of like your list and performance so yeah i feel i, I mean i'm in that boat too where i think people don't take into account how many games they you win or lose because of these i don't think they're small decisions but like you know can you actually afford to be playing the one basic or does that actually have a, a an effect how often does you drawing the island not allow you to cast your dragon rage channeler in one and hold up days like like that decision points like having stable mana is a cost mm-hmm. um you know having you know, three cop or four copies of days and doing four copies of hull breacher is a cost because that's not <laughs> like effects doing really nothing or the, especially hull breacher right does nothing in multiples um and you want to have some number of narsets but like do you want four hull breaches and four narsets like that seems that seems like a lot you know, and you kind of see that too. I was watching, um, you know, actually watching Maps and Play first. I can't remember the name of the player, but they were playing like the Ruby Storm deck. And, you know, he's like, basically, Maps and Play is like a turn one collector oof. And Ma- this this person still wins if they just play a red source. They, any red source, they just win the game. It just can't be, you know, a, an artifact. And they just miss on a red source that's not an artifact for the rest of the game and like you know Ugh. they could and like and this was it wasn't like you know Mapson killed him three turns later like Mapson I think I think Collector Oof dealt like 14 damage something absurd like that like it, oh actually I think I saw that game actually yeah that was obscene yeah because like, I think Mapson just stuck with Oof his mana wasn't great I know no. um his opponent's like situation wasn't good i think they had all artifacts and nothing else and it was just like all right brick 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 and then die to the oof it was pretty yeah. insane actually yeah i mean like yeah because yeah. the, the mox diamond was the mana source to get played on turn one because he thought he thought he needed it and he was right um it just that's the reality of the situation though there's a lot of situation a lot of spots you're in where like if you want to maximize your turn one wins you need to do that but like you also are going to you know, you can't just add... Every, like, there are very few cards that just add win percentage to your deck. Like, even Ragavan up my win percentage versus blue decks, but down my win percentage versus elves, for example. Like, Ragavan was not good <laughs> good in that matchup, and, like, I would cut them both board. So, like, very rarely do you get, like, just a straight upgrade uh, when you when you add or subtract a card. So, that's just one of the ones I don't think people really think about enough, but like actually being able to do like the, the statistical analysis and, and look about, you know, how often do I win if I get a turn one Delver, turn one Dragon Rage Chandler, turn one Ragavan, is that actually significantly different? Actually does indicate, you know, if I can only play 11 of these creatures, which one is going to get knocked, knocked down to a three of? Um, and how does, how does, you know, if I cut, you know, two and just example right this is something that happened before like if i want to play four delvers four ragavans two dragon rage channeler well if i want to play if i want to switch my numbers and play four dragon rage channeler and two delvers like how does that affect my ability to actually cast force of will for the alternative cost like does it behoove me then to start adding more blue cards to the deck and other spots to up my blue count to a, a significant spot or am i better off just cast uh, playing delver secrets instead just to support the blue deck like uh, the blue cost like there, there's a lot of relevance there and like you know even you know obviously i'm i'm kind of being delver centric because you know me but but 
you know, endurance has the same restrictions, right? You need mm-hmm. ideally you want more green spells. You need green mana. I've played against um, Uro players who like died because they can't. <laughs> they literally were, had the inability to cast double green off their four color mana base. And it's just like you know, I have three basics. One of them's a forest, and one's an island. One's a planes i can't cast endurance and i only have one green card because i don't play enough green cards like i'm just gonna die here um it's i don't know there's definitely a cost i think but having some kind of mathematical backing to it i think is is super relevant yeah i think so and like to kind of circle back make a comment that goes for the same that goes um uh, for like the conversation we had about um mystic sanctuary yeah, where yeah. it's like okay well how consistent do you want to be over like how much do you want to grind you know like mm-hmm. there's always a trade-off and a cost to every decision you make yeah. and that's one of the things that really i've really been enjoying recently is that like well you know it's all about the deck building well okay how should i build my deck all right what's good right now okay well how many copies do i need and what are the chances I can I can see those? What cards help me? Oh, Once Upon a Time is really good. It gets me basically everything I want. Okay, you know, play three of those, play four of those, kind of, um, like move on from there. You know, so yeah, it's always a it's always a cool uh, cool thing to think about. Yeah, for sure. All right, are there any, any other cards from this list you want to talk about? Now we're we did the S, we did the A, we did the B. There's a C and D tier. I don't want to run through all the stuff. If if the deck that you play personally hasn't been read, it's on the C or D tier. So just take, take that to heart. Uh. Uh, yeah. Sad Ant and Sneak and Show are in the C tier. Mm. I like both of those decks. I'm happy that Esper Vile is moving up to C. I think that's seeing more play. And um, I think that's a that's a sweet deck. Um, yeah, that's pretty much about it. Yeah, I'm, I, I played Hogak, I played a league with Hogak, uh, last week, actually while editing the episode. Um, I understand why Hogak's in the D tier, I'm not shocked. <laughs> <laughs> so you found out the hard way, huh? I found out the hard way. I went 3-2 and I was like, this was like the worst 3-2 of my life. Like, I, I swear I went like, <laughs> oh, 10 in games and still ended up 3-2. I'm like, this shouldn't have happened but okay um i did play one of our i played uh brendan which was like not ideal. oh god um, oh god that always happens to me yeah uh, it's good to see it's happening to someone else too yeah uh Bren, brendan's somebody who uh believe listens to the show but um he also is a a, a lover of all things arc like phoenix so i got um mm-hmm. buried alive under some arc like phoenixes i actually like to to his i guess to the credit uh, of uh, RNG gods, I went Cabal Therapy, blind named Buried Alive, hit two Buried Alives, uh, he goes <laughs> Faithless Looting, draw two, discard two Phoenixes, cast Manamorphose, cast Buried Alive. It's like, what the hell happened? <laughs> <laughs> so annoying. Uh, Get nut drawn. Yeah, I just like lost that game because I, uh, I don't know, it's ridiculous. So, come on, Billy, he's from yeah. Phoenixville. He's from come Phoenixville. on, yeah, I know. You're gonna get Phoenix. It's Boom. Phoenix. Um, all right, we should probably wrap up. Um, and lots of stuff. I'm just quick 
quick stuff to, t- to touch on as we go out the door. <laughs> um, there was super qualifier, so there's some pretty cool lists if you want to check those out. I'm not even going to talk about the Halo nonsense. We'll talk about that next week. Um, <laughs> the Professor, if you are a um, big fan of the Professor, um, had a Kickstarter that jumped up, started today, had a modest goal of $50,000. It's currently at $812,000 as of recording, so it's credit to the Professor. We've been watching this just like tick up all all episode, which is super crazy. Um, and then also, if you are playing Magic Online, just keep in mind that there are um, some super qualifiers coming up um, the week of the 28th, so that will be uh, about two weeks from now. Uh, but on the 20, if I can find the date, uh, on March 23rd until April 6th, you can pay $25 to get a Mythic event token. So if you want to play all the eight casts you want, uh, you can actually just play it off of your token and, you know, you can use them to jump into any event on Magical Online. So you want to play a little bit of, you know, Legacy or Modern or you want to jump into play Vintage or Standard if you're feeling frisky, right? You can do that off the Mystic Token. It's just something to keep in mind for some people. Um, and then also um, there is a, a couple of super qualifiers over the over this weekend as well if you want to play either Popper or if you want to play um, limited, those are options to try to get you back to the Pro Tour. Thank you, Chris, so much for coming on this week. Uh, it was a blast talking with you. Yeah, it was awesome being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, it was sweet talking about elves. Mm-hmm. Uh, love the deck. If you haven't played it before, you should definitely try it. I know a lot of newer people have been jumping on the deck um, and have been joining us in Discord. So, um, if, uh, if you want to find me, you can, uh, always find me in the discord, um, and on Twitter, uh, at, at metalfish, um, with, uh, one instead of an I, does that make sense? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so that's where you can, you can find me and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was awesome being on. Yeah. Thank you again. Um, wrap up here um and like chris mentioned um he is at metal fish uh with a one instead of the i and fish uh, there'll be a link to that in the show notes if you want to check him out um uh, please do uh, support his content um he, he does you know post some tweets and things about um, elves um so if you're especially interested in like the you know, statistics and in, involved in magic it's definitely a good a good follow um if you are interested in following Mapson, he is at Expedition Map on Twitter. He streams occasionally, allegedly. Um, if you're interested, allegedly, in, allegedly, I I don't know when the last time I've seen him streaming is, but it's been a minute. We need to get him back on on the streaming train. Um, if you're interested in following me at all, I am at Bad Luck Bandit on Twitter. If you're interested in finding the show, um, we are at Depth underscore Podcast. And of course, at the beginning of the show, you hear this little bumper talking about ways to support us, uh, support our stuff, find our list, all that fun stuff. All those links to all of our Dark Depth stuff is on our LinkedIn, or sorry, our Linktree, rather, on our Twitter bio. So check us out there. All right, Chris, again, thank you for coming on. And everybody at home, I'll see you next week. Thank you.